Welcome to the Conduit Deeper podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, Executive Pastor, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, and we are getting back into a rhythm. It feels good, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, summer is summer is always great because we're we're getting things done outside of the four walls. Um, you know, some of it mission, some of it vacation, some of it, um, you know, vacation at Bible school and camps. And I mean, it's just, it's busy. <laughs> it's fun. But man, I mean, I'll be honest. I enjoy doing these podcasts. Like, I, I think it's it's fun for me. I don't know if it's fun for you. Yeah, I, f- I find it to be very entertaining. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of work, that, right, that goes. Yeah, but it's fun work to Into me. it, but yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, uh, I've said this before, like, you know, the de- the stuff that you've got to deal with at a church our size, you know, that's the, st- you know, that's the stuff we get paid for. The rest of it I'd do for free. Like, I would, yeah. I'd do this whether we were getting paid or not. Like, this is, yeah. so it's hard to call this part work. But we're, we're back into a rhythm of trying to get these out to you each week because there's, you know, there's a lot happening in the world and there's a lot of discussion to be had. And Sunday, we're continuing our series. Now, We've been saying continuing our series for a while because we are in the book of John uh-huh. a year later. It's not my fault that John is so good that that you got to take that up with God. <laughs> we are a year. We are officially as of Sunday, this past Sunday, we are one year into the book of John. Interesting. I wonder. So across the street at Graceland, they're doing uh, the gospel of John. They I wonder are. if they're going to. Now we're in a race. Yeah, I need to go check to see where how, they're at. How far along are they? You know, I think he's racing through it, so he might still beat us. And specifically, um, wrapping up chapter 17, which we've sat on for a little bit here. This is week three in chapter 17, because there's just so much. Yeah. Specifically over the topic of the glory of God and what that means for us, what that means about him. You referenced... The office, your office, that has these gold records laying around. And so we we podcast. So Darren's office serves as a podcast room um, and other things. But Or is it the podcast room serves as Darren's I office? I think that's probably uh, more accurate. More accurate right? <laughs> it's a podcast primarily, podcast room yeah, primarily. I just parked a desk in the corner. And, there, and I'm to my right and to my left are gold records that you alluded to and different... Different, um, not just gold records, but also plaques of, of all of the things that you worked on and that were awarded uh, for record sales and radio and all the different things. And it's it's funny. It's it's funny because I mean I remember every single one of these that are that I can see within eyesight. Like I was in the biz at the same time, and and I know about the story about each one of these. But as you alluded to, like your kids have have a clue. Young Caleb over here, producer Caleb, probably doesn't know much about the Stellar Cart number one radio that, do hit. Do you know who Stellar Cart is? Okay, no, that's see, a no. It's what unbelievable. About, what about Pod? Do you know who that is? Okay, we got a yes. Heard of P.O.D. Could you name a song? Oh, gosh. Let me ask you this. What do you think what, are the, what do you think they sound like? <laughs> Putting them to the test. Because I'll make Is, sure you've heard of the right P.O.D. 
It probably it is possible that it is not. Nickelback. They sound like Nickelback. In 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 young Caleb's I almost want to call Sonny right now. <laughs> bro. Young Caleb thinks <laughs> sound like Nickelback. Sounds like Nickelback. You know, mm. to to be fair, I mean, yeah, I mean he missed he missed it. He well, was probably what year were you born? Oh, okay. Gosh. Yeah. So he oh, missed he missed gosh. the POD train by about seven years. Yeah, um, they had already peaked by that point and were yeah. All right. Well, 2001 was their was probably. I mean, somebody fact check me, but 2001 was probably their biggest record. Did you know that Youth of the Nation? Oh. That album was huge for them. Yeah, it was massive. The Southtown was was what put them on the map, and then Youth of the Nation was is what went mainstream and went massive. Did you know that that album released on Tuesday, September 11th, 2001? I actually did not know that. I was the album, the fun oh, fact. Wow. There's the album that I was. The fact that was, you know that well, without Googling it is utterly fast. Because <laughs> well, you just had this down. conversation. I yeah. don't think we have. Not about POD on September 11th, have we? No, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, that's okay. fun fact. Yeah. I was actually listening to this album when it all went down in New York City. And so I, you're, well, you're listening to Youth of the Nation. Well, because it's for the day the record's out. So album release. I had. I had already purchased it. I had it. This was on CD. It was on CD in my computer. Oh, in a computer? In a computer. Oh, like a compact. Yeah. Like, yeah. At my office. I had just started a brand new job as a graphic designer building websites at a design firm in downtown Dayton. And I had this album playing in my computer's CD so wild player as we started getting <laughs> alerts um through like cnn and like yeah. local news that stuff That's was happening wild. and that was the day so my day with them was i mean i got my i got my first tattoo on their bus sitting off of west end crap what was the name of that venue it was literally right behind where my office was lowe's vanderbilt hotel they ju- I mean, it just closed. It was like this rock club. Anyway, I can't remember what it was called. If the I said, end? Exit, exit in? in? Exit in. Giddy up. That's it. Exit in. There was a little Irish pub right next uh-huh. door. And so Southtown had just, either just released, was about to release. We were on the bus watching the video. Like it, I, I, What I can't remember is if the video had already been released and was climbing up MTV or not. I just remember that that was their next thing, like MTV's... Wow. Carson Daly, before he was a TV host uh, on uh-huh. NBC, was an MTV VJ. Uh, what was it? It was like a live show or something? Yeah. Or uh, requests? Or anyway. And that, yeah, but that that video just rocketed up the charts. Total it's, Request Live. Total Request Live. I sh- probably should remember that. So if I was 98, I would have been, what, 26, 27? <laughs> And we, uh, yeah, and so I was like, I was, I mean, I'm trying to make conversation with Wavi and Sonny and whatever, and it, I'm like, hey, man, I like your tattoo, I don't know, whatever you say. And he's like, bro, man, we'll hook you up, man, S.A. So he, uh, the guy, their guitar tech slash tattoo guy was on tour with them, and so he opens up, like, this tackle box with C-clamps oh, and no. floodlights, and, and next thing I know, there's, like a, a, like, a conveyor belt of people getting tats. On the POD oh, no. bus, sort of to commemorate Southtown. Oh my, that's amazing! Because at the time you were their booking agent, yeah. correct? Uh huh. Yeah, 
Yeah, we were... Um, and these boys are from San Diego? San Diego. Yeah. They started out, bless their hearts, man, they started in uh, like Refuge Records, which I think was like their uncle Noah who owned a lawn care company and a record label. <laughs> and I'm only kind of exaggerating. I think that actually might be accurate. I don't think I'm exaggerating at all. But what I do remember was the CCM people uh, had no, there was no wheelhouse for POD. No, not at all. Yeah. And so they come out of the gates, MTV, I mean, you know, rockets up the charts. Barry Landis actually gets credit for this. Barry, Barry Landis. Really? Yeah, Warner Brothers. Barry and his giant hands. Wow. Um, have you ever shaken Barry hand, I Landis' have. hands? It's like shaking a roast beef. Like, I don't know how else to say it. It's like, if, if, like this giant appendage with these meaty sauce, like summer sausage fingers. Anyway, uh, but he gets credit for taking him from the Christian side. And the, and the credit comes because, you know, and look, I've, I've passed on Jennifer Knapp. I passed on Reliant K. Look, so I, I can make fun of other people for passing on stuff that... Well, that, let's not go down that road because well, I have two major passes in my career that are... What's your biggest in, one? What's your biggest regret? The biggest and the one that was right in front of me that had access to, like, I had... It was a done deal. If I wanted it, was NF. Nuff. NF and you passed has gone on oh, to sell man. millions and millions and millions and is selling out oh. arenas currently on tour. It came across my desk, was ready to sign, and said, "What in the world is Christian music going to do with this guy?" And that was twelve years ago. In fairness, he had to come through the general market channel, right? <laughs> there was no path. Yeah. Through Christian music. Yeah, God love, K love, right? Bless them. They're not, you know, they're not going to experiment with an NF song coming out. So you have to go through the other. And he went by his real name 12 years ago called Nate Fierstein. <laughs> Is it really Fierstein? NF, yes. That's what, oh my gosh. I literally didn't know that. Come on. Is he Jewish? I don't know. Fierstein, like F-E-F-I-E-R-S? No, it's yeah, German. Good, good luck trying to spell it. There's Fierstein. a lot of E's Maybe and it's U's, German. Huh. and there's a lot of vowels in his last name. Huh. So that's when Capital at the time, oh, yeah. CMG, Christian Music Group, signed him to a dev deal, development deal, and put out a four-songer. Who signed it? Was it York? Brad? Brad. Brad O'Donnell. His wife is Erin O'Donnell for CCM Junkies in the 90s. She was a very, very solid C-level I remember. artist. Real sweet. Sweet as can be. Really sweet. But anyway, I, that's actually Brad saw that. So, yeah, you know. So you passed on that. Huh. I did. And anybody that knows NF and listens to this, um, first of all, if anybody listens to NF and listens to the Deeper Podcast, <laughs> I am impressed. Um, it's kind you, of embarrassing, and right? They will also it's a be very, very niche audience. <laughs> they will also be very embarrassed for me that I passed on such an artist that has had such a successful career. Nevertheless, the glory of all of that is, is gone. Is but a whisper. You know, I leaned over to my wife when so, you were talking about gold records, and I reminded her that I I have one gold record. One. Which one? The band Fireflight earned a gold record. I didn't realize they did that. That, that was not easy to do no. in your era. A female-fronted rock band in the uh, mid to late 2000s. In um, the days of, you know, Napster was post, but it was... By then it was, uh, you know, air, uh, the iPhone well, streaming it just started to Yeah, we on. rode on the, we rode on the coattails of Flyleaf and Evanescence at the time. 
That's they were the forerunners of the female fronted rock band in, in, in Christian music, right? It's like yeah. we're pioneering and paving our own path. But yeah, you know, I got one of those. <laughs> I'm laughing because my son, I'm like, my son is not afraid to go ahead and just bump the music pretty, yeah. pretty darn loud. And he is hanging out with a couple of guys that work with one of our friends, Steve Adams, who played in a band in the 90s. So he's introducing my son to all of these bands like Under Oath. Oh, yeah. But yesterday he is just cranking Flyleaf. I'm like, let's go. I'm like, bro, is I finally get his attention because it's so loud. And keeping in mind, he grew up in my home. Okay. So this is not like he... <laughs> But my, I was like, dude, are you playing Flyleaf? And he f comes just flying to the landing above. Do you know, you know these guys? Do you know? Oh my goodness! I was like, yeah, but they're like old, bro. Like, this is like mid two thousand. Anyway, he is discovering all of that music from that specific era. This pleases me. But think about it. How so? In, for me, in the eighties, that would have been listening to sixties music or early seventies. True, you know. So for you, that would have been like listening to late '80s, but he's dialed in on like the t early 2000s, you know. Uh, hard. I don't think he's picked up the POD record yet, but anyway, th th those bands, you know, as he, you know, we called them. He called Switchfoot. They're like that old band. Oh right? man, yeah, you're grounded. But the thing about it that really stuck with me though is, at the time. I was acting like we were protecting government secrets or something, like lives were on the line. And, you know, because, you know, we were chasing these elusive uh, charts and numbers and ticket sales. And, and I look back now going, nothing wrong with any of that. Just, there's just not. That's a, that's a, it's a career, it's a business. And people deserve to be remunerated for, for their work. But, if I'm putting all of my weight on it, right? Like that's the idea of glory is now I'm glorifying charts. I'm glorifying radio, glorifying ticket sales. And what, you know, what Solomon says at the end of his life, man, it was just vapor. Vapor, a whisper. Yeah, which is pretty appropriate when you think about music because you can't see it. True. You know, it's there, but you can't take it. Like it's... And in its greatest strengths, I mean, music to this, there's a reason why music is one of the things we take with us into eternity. I don't know if we'll still be continuing to write songs there, but I have this hunch that some of these songs that we'll, we'll take with us there. But for me, it was like, yeah, it was a real eye-opening experience to realize, man, I, I invested my life, my career, my into, you know, into shower steam. <laughs> right. It fogged up the mirrors, but then, you know, eventually it went away. Yeah, faded fast. And that's, I think that's the, the, the closest that I can come in a modern, you know, parlance is the idea of glory. Like pre, like if you watch like Braveheart, whatever those movies, like all those, that's what they wanted was the glory of it. Even, you know, I was watching Legends of the Fall with my wife and. You know, those young guys, you know, Brad Pitt, they want to go to World War One, And the main reason is they wanted glory for it. They wanted to go over there and win and do something that mattered. And they, But they used to use that word glory as a part of the English language, where now it's sort of relegated to just a Christianese sort of ideology. Interesting, yeah. But it wasn't, that's not where it started as a Christianese word. It started as a word that that mattered and still matters, but mattered a lot when they used it in those days. And so, you know, there's no battles, there's no wars now. So most of our society are seeking glory in our careers, seeking glory in our social media platforms, seeking glory 
in, you know, in our families, our, our children's accomplishments. We used to see glory through our MySpace page. <laughs> the Did MySpace. You, I was going to say, if that, was, if that was my greatest hope, man, I had a flicker of hope, man, because my MySpace page was... I don't... I mean... That yeah. was a moment in time, man. <laughs> the, tw- the 20-somethings today don't understand the... They just... they just It, it missed them. The how... Uh, how big MySpace was and how it was the forerunner to, you know, Facebook and obviously Instagram and these other things. But it was the first one that really propelled uh, people, bands, authors, our our, our, our mission. Yeah. To, you know, our church had a MySpace page it's a bunch of years ago. And true story, like, I mean, it it was like... A juggernaut. I remember yeah, it was a game changer. You know, only uh, what was this uh, T- Tom? Yeah, Tom. I forget his last name. Anyway, he passed on like a five hundred million dollar offer or something like that. Which, man, hindsight's so dumb because it went away twenty years ago. But what I was remembering uh, and thinking about was, you know, our, our buddy Nate uh, on the Blurry Creatures podcast. Mm-hmm. His band. The reason I even knew who they were was they signed a contract with MySpace Records. And at the time, it would have been like you thought, I mean, I would have thought he won the lottery. Of course. You know? Um, But it was like... uh, Yeah, it would have been the equivalent of TikTok putting out a record label. Yeah, yeah. Getting signed to it because now you have access to all of their tools, resources, promotion. Their platform. And it went away like that. Yeah. You know? It's like... So in the moment, he looked like a genius, right? And then in hindsight, uh, you know, it's like you're, you know, you just you signed a record contract with Bear Stearns. It really didn't matter. They were bankrupt yeah. inside. But um, the glory of even that, you know, gone. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I touched on it on Sunday, but there have been all these pieces in the last few years talking about the decline of church attendance, specifically coming out of, out of covid and, you know, much like Mark Twain, you know, the idea rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated, uh, which I don't think is the exact quote of him, but it's something along those lines. The church, the global church is alive and well, like it's exploding across Asia, across Africa. So when you, one of the greatest ironies is that if someone who, you know, makes a living in trying to call out, you know, white privilege writing articles like this, like, okay, this is like one of the biggest white privilege moments ever. You're literally the, the the pot calling the kettle black on this one because the African church, like, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, you, the church is in decline? What are you even talking about? Like, it's exploding. But when you bring it back to the United States, what, what um, there has been a drop-off in attendance of church is across the country. Um, ours, of course, and, and, and many of them, by the way, have not only not experienced a decline, but an increase. I mean, Church of the City, they're up like 2,000 people over where they were pre-COVID. So that's not everybody. It's not across the board. But the the point that I was making is that the, the premise of this piece is in the Atlantic was, there, I think I shared just a quick, actually, I think I shared the Wall Street Journal one because I hadn't quite dove into the Atlantic yet. But the premise that this guy was making in the Atlantic is, the reason of church attendance going down was not because we were asking too much of people is that we were asking too little, which is a fascinating premise mm. that it's not 
about, let me put it differently. When we sat down in March of 2020, trying to figure out what we're going to do, you know, the question arose was, are, are we an essential service in this community? And if, if all we're doing is a sermon, all we're doing is worship, then the answer is probably that's not an essential service. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is the, the, the church that Jesus designed, the church that Jesus called forth, doesn't just listen to a sermon and doesn't just do worship music on a Sunday. Those are great. They're a vital part of it. But it's about this mission of the church accomplishing together. That That's the church Jesus called for. And I think it's not that we're not asking people to volunteer in the parking lot enough. We're not asking, you know, those. That's if that's the point, I think that's also not at the core of where humans are and why church attendance dropped off. It was like at the end of the day, it, he says this, that our, our society is filled up with work, with sports, with vacations with most households have two parents working. So you factor in, you know, 50 to 60 hour work week, you factor in then another, you know, let's say hour a day commute on top of that. The idea of again, man, getting up on a Sunday morning and doing this one more time, it just feels really overwhelming. And if they were part of a church that wasn't making a difference in the community, then why do that? Why not just stay home and sleep? Why, you know, I've, I've joked about that even with like the Bible. If, if it turned out this if these progressive guys were right, right, that the, the Bible isn't trustworthy, that Jesus, you know, came to be just a good example of, look, then I'd stay home too, go back and get jobs and stuff because, the, you know, just coming to hang out is not worth it. But that's not the, what, it, what the church was called to do. And to try to, I guess, bring it back, I feel like I'm babbling, but what I was saying on Sunday, what the scriptures are saying is that this search we all have inside of us, the search for purpose, search for meaning, is literally a search for glory. That's what it is. So if someone's trying to find their glory in their work schedule, someone's trying to find their glory in their kids' lives, trying to find their glory in relationships, in vacations, they're going to be transformed into the image of those things as opposed to giving glory to God. And the downside of putting our glory into those things is they're all temporal and none of them last. But putting our, you know, our search for glory, realizing, oh, no, it's actually in Christ. That's where it comes from. And that's a glory that can sustain whether I have a good job or a bad job, whether my marriage is great or whether it's falling apart, whether my kids are following Jesus or taking the scenic route. If my glory and my purpose and meaning is coming from Christ, then I can be transformed into his image and then deal with those things with a heart full of God's glory, not mine. The Atlantic um, alludes to the fact that the main religion in America right now is workism. Yeah. That it is, that, that, that American culture is completely consumed by the idea of work. Ours are more than probably any other country in the world. Um, for the, uh, f to belong in matter, meaning having a position of, of power or influence in their job, but also correlating to that is, you know, a paycheck that allows them to then go do whatever they want. Yeah. Um, workism. It's interesting that, that that's a, a correlation that, or something that they're pointing to as a, you know, a reason for a reduction in church attendance because they're working all week long and now they have this other thing they have to go quote unquote do. Yeah. is attend, you know, church. Yeah. And they're not necessarily finding um, belonging or uh, something that matters enough to 
be involved. Yeah. And then just the strains on, like I was talking to somebody yesterday, part of our church family. They've got a, I think he's a five-year-old boy who's playing tackle football, which is pretty cool. But at five years old, they were telling me it's like four or five days a week of two-hour practices. It is four days a week. For a five-year-old. It's, yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. He's five. Yeah. And by the way, this is not, I'm not casting an aspersion on these parents, but I'm casting an aspersion on the culture of the culture of this. Yeah. He's five. Yeah. It should not be allowed. You know, as a, as a parent that did coach youth sports for more than a decade, the fact that, that that's even an option like it should not be an option in youth sports to have that kind of dedication and commitment for a you know I think in my personal opinion anything under 8 years old or 2 hours a night 4 to 5 hours a week for a specific sport that is roughly 2 months of commitment like it's it's a, it's every bit of a two and a half month commitment yeah. So I mean, do them do the math and figure out like how much time that five year old, six year old, seven year old is committing <laughs> to this one thing. By the time Sunday morning comes around, right? Like, Dad, do we have to? <laughs> you know, like it's just it's it creates a um, an environment of exhaustion and you know a prioritization of what's you know most important at an early age. So when you when you think that through, like workism, you know our and it's wild because like if I were to say this couple's name, you'd know them. Um, they may actually listen to this. They're I don't think they've done anything wrong, but it's like if you want your kid to be able to play football, which the kid wants to play, he's having a good time. Like that's just the requirements of it. And I was asking him, you know, like, okay, well, how long are you going to do this, right? You know, how long? He's like, yeah, well, we were going to quit, but we're the place now with so many, so he's exactly where so many people have quit that if, if we're the place now, if he quits, then the whole team falls apart because we don't have enough to make a team. So it's like now he's hooked into this, uh, this team. And that's, you know, that's super ground level, super, you know, micro, not macro, but an example of. Maybe so many people quit because we're asking a five-year-old to practice for two hours a day in a hundred-degree heat for, you know, a youth league football game. <laughs> I, 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 my uh, the culture that we are in, the the thing that uh, you know, coming back from Africa, you know, they don't have a lot, right? So that means they don't have a lot to do. No, they work, by the way, like they're working, but there's also time to compress, decompress. There's time to hang out and fellowship with each other in church settings. And and, and look, the thing, you know, the, the, here's what the numbers say. And this is what came out of this Atlantic piece. And this should be, this should be what it would be. If, if in fact, Jesus is the son of God, which he is. And if in fact, Jesus, you know, says, Hey, this is my church. This is what we're going to do. And the Bible says to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. If that is the word, then it should be be and would be that it actually because it's beneficial to us his commands in the new testament are for our flourishing and for his glory and one of the things that the atlantic piece talks about with church attendance going down says and this changes bad news for america as a whole participation in a religious community 
and it's funny, you, you have to really dig for it, but I've, I've read these studies. It's not just a, quote, religious community. It's a Christian community. That's what the numbers play out. Generally correlates with better health outcomes and longer life, higher financial generosity, and more stable families, all of which are desperately needed in a nation with rising rates of, lo- rates of loneliness, mental illness, and alcohol and drug dependency. There is no study that shows that youth sports does that for us. There is no study that shows that workism accomplishes that for us. The studies show out that us gathering together on a regular basis with a mission-focused Jesus community literally means it's a, it, they are across the board going to be physically healthier, financially more generous, socially more involved and kind. And that's what we're tearing apart when we're tearing apart church gatherings in America in exchange for workism, in exchange for, you know, it's the reason why Paul says in 1 Corinthians that no flesh shall glory in his sight. We can't create our own glory. It burns us out. It destroys us. Does it touch on, I didn't get a chance to read the full article, but does it touch on any of the church um, attendance decline as it pertains to um, coming out of COVID, it does because the the, the so the, he's basically the Atlantic article is talking about an, uh, a book coming out by Jim Davis, who's a pastor um, in Orlando. It's a, a evangelical church, and Mike Graham, who's a writer with Gospel Coalition. They've, they've surveyed seven thousand Americans. So, the, but the, what really drove this study and the survey and all that was that people coming out of COVID who stayed home because, by the way, pastors told them you should stay home. Uh, Mike Glenn, who's a pastor of Brentwood Baptist Church here in town, uh, remember we're sitting in a room and a mutual friend asked him, this is a couple years ago now, what have have you guys learned? Like, what are you learning right now? And Mike didn't skip a beat. Tell you what I learned. My people like to stay home on Sundays. You know, this is the largest, most successful uh, Baptist, Southern Baptist Church in Nashville area. My people like to stay home. Mm-hmm. So that's what started it was giving them permission. And he says, by the way, they still have a large contingency of people that they live in Middle Tennessee, Brentwood, Franklin. They get up on Sunday morning, they get their Wall Street Journal, they get their coffee, and they watch TV on a church on TV. And, and they don't even do that anymore because they're scared of COVID. They just did it because they they like just they like staying home. They discover something new. Yeah. And I would suggest that they uh, don't, that's not church. Yeah. Not the church Jesus had in mind. Yeah. But, you know, it's like one thing to, you know, <laughs> complain that people treat church like a show while giving them a show. Not not that Brentwood Baptist is giving them a show, but, you know, if, if what we told them was stay home, watch us on TV, you can watch the show, you know, some of them kind of like that. And, you know, I'm not Holy Ghost Jr. It's between them and Jesus. But point is, is that, that COVID gave them a break and COVID said, hey, you know, I, I kind of got out of the rhythm of this. And I realized that this wasn't uh, exactly as meaningful as I thought it was. Is that the church's fault or is it the people's fault? Probably yes. <laughs> you, know, the, you know, there are people that come to conduit that, you know, we are a f- radically mission focused church, but there are those that, that are not part of the mission. So they, they may or may not be connected to that idea, but the vast majority of people that that I feel like that are really finding their purpose and identity in, in, in a church setting are people that are part of a Jesus church like that. You know, I think in our world, 
you know, Tony and Lynn Simpson, I mean, they, they're working, they volunteer at a food bank that's based out of this little tiny church in College Grove. You know, they, they volunteer all the time with our friends at Place of Hope. You know, all this stuff born out of, of conduit, you know, not us because we're so special, but there's just stuff happening. We have Jesus people working together, doing Jesus things, and that's called a church. You know, the work from home pendulum is swinging back the other direction. Yeah. I was reading about that a little bit this week where Zoom, the company Zoom, has ordered their employees back to work, which the irony in that. Zoom. Is so funny. Dude, if me. you have Zoom stock, sell it because <laughs> that's not I mean, a good sign. Think about, think about that. The Zoom corporate has ordered their employees to come back and not have meetings over zoom anymore. <laughs> so, but why is that? Yeah. Right? Like they, they see the importance of gathering together in one place. Ideas happen. Unity happens. Teamwork happens. Um, as opposed to being splintered and divided, um, at, at home. Yeah. That's not exactly rocket science, right? Like that's not, I've, I've, uh, there've been several pieces out wall street journal just put one out yesterday, I think again, but that, so work from home, you've got people working from home that are, they want to keep working from home. And when you read the reasons why, what they're really saying is, because I don't like working. Like, I like my freedom. I like, like, I don't know that you should be saying that out loud because yeah. you're saying I could be more productive if I'm at home while simultaneously saying uh, I need to do all these things, which then in turn make me less productive. And I, look, I don't blame people for not wanting to sit in traffic. I don't blame people for, yeah, no doubt, you know. And at the same time, uh, you know, the companies that want them back, the reason they want them back is because statistically, this was, this was like using before the pandemic, the idea that we hand sanitizer can ultimately be a bad thing was literally common sense and everybody knew it because we are, you know, but, but in the pandemic, we suspended all sorts of common sense things. And one of them was we rub everything down in hand sanitizer, you know, and when it come to work, it was 100% a, a given that we were more productive. And it just happens here. I mean, you, know, you bump into somebody in the hallway. Hey, what, do you, what about this? What about, you know, just creativity happens when you are working in the same place together, not to mention community uh, and productivity. And it's true in a gathering as well. You know, you can sit at home, you know, and, and I know God bless you. There are still those. I don't know that anybody that does that is, is listening to the deeper podcast. Not at this point. Uh, but if you are, you know, look, stop it. <laughs> I don't care if you go to our church or not, but get involved somewhere where you're in person on a regular basis. I know you're busy. I know that the world is demanding a lot of you. And in 20 years from now, trust me, if you're in your early 30s, that's the, in this the Atlantic piece, there was this archetypal uh, person they put, you know, it's this, this female that went to college. She actually was involved in campus ministry. This is the archetype of, a, of the classic de-churched kind of person. You know, she goes through all that. She gets married to a guy that's maybe not as quote unquote religious. Life happens. And before long, the pandemic hits, they stop going to church and they just never went back. 31, 32 years old. That's sort of the archetype of these 7,000 people that were surveyed. You know, the median, that's what it would be. And I promise you in 20 years from now, we, we just saw it happen in our own church in a positive sense. A young a family that had a young girl that passed away. And they, and they had been actively involved in a church, our church, for the better part of a decade. And when they needed it, the church was there for them. If you are alone, if you are, when tragedy hits, 
you're alone still. Like people, you know, it's like, I'm so bummed because nobody's here for me. But if you haven't been there for anybody for the previous 10 years, like, I don't want to say it's your own fault or I don't want to say that I told you so, but I, look, I'm prophesying right now. Like if, if you're 30 years old and you are not engaged in a local church family that is actively on mission together, when you get sucker punched by the Genesis three world, you're going to feel like you're on your own because you are, because you abandoned the church when they needed you the most and you are now on your own with it. It's not a shame thing. It's just like, Hey, again, God's commands, if they're his commands, they would be for our betterment and our flourishing and a, a church family together. Like the church I grew up in, they still do that. If I, if you know, when someone dies, I mean, the church makes casseroles, they take care of the families because that's what churches do for each other. Yeah. You know, there's an interesting thing that happened in Australia this past week, um, just kind of a follow-up of COVID-era lockdown stuff that... Um, Australia, man. I forgot they were there. Right. <laughs> they went from being the coolest country on the planet to being like a poor man's Canada. Melbourne Public Housing Tower complex of nine towers was locked down for 14 days where literally any and all residents could not leave. They locked the doors. <sighs> And so a class action lawsuit was placed against the tower owners, right? I really need this to be they won the lawsuit, by the way. I, spoil, I can't. I almost can't take it if they didn't win. They don't win. They did it. They had a settlement. But this, uh, the wording of this just... So on Monday, the government's lawyers, the government's lawyers told Supreme Court the measures taken in July of 20 were justified, but that a settlement had been put forward to avoid a lengthy court battle. So they wouldn't admit that it was wrong to do that, that it was justified to lock the doors, but they went ahead and settled it. $5 million lawsuit. Each resident gets $2,200. So it's like, okay, what's the price of that? Like, is it really $2,200? Maybe for, for 14 days, but it's the, it's the, it's the principle of it, right? Yeah. That they're still not, uh, acquiescing to. I mean, they're still trying to hold the line on on their decision making, and we wonder why all these implications of of health and loneliness and mental state and everything that's come from this, why it's still an issue. Yeah the the difference between the human soul and the human body is the one thing that many medical quote unquote professionals never grasped and apparently continue to not grasp. And especially as it relates to the public health officials, like when you talk about like health departments, you know, the white coat brigade, the idea that they would even continue to try to make a case for this from a point of lawyers, like the, there is not a, you cannot find a study that says this was good for our mental health. You cannot find a study that says this really was awesome for the, you know, the society and the fabric of society. Literally every metric in every area shows the exact opposite of this. So, you know, we all, we all, I mean, we knew that it was not about the science, but what I didn't know at the moment was it was about a new religion, you know, whether it's wokeism idea, you know, the mind virus or what, you know, but there's some sort of a religion around the ideology that had nothing to do with with health or science and everything to do with fear and with control. If you weren't already fired up, this might fire you, fire you up. I, I received a, uh, $2,200. I received a, a request for a religious exemption today. 
or a preschool they, student that is in Middle Tennessee. Uh huh. Yeah, they're they're the preschool is requiring a fully vaxxed students, including the Rona vax. Yeah. What, I need you to tell me what preschool. I don't. Even I don't care. know. I don't, don't know, yet. know yet. They just asked if I'd be willing to oh, sign heck. something. Heck yeah! And what? Is, and our religious reason is we don't believe in things that don't work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I literally put that on three or four of my letters of exemption. I'm like, what is my religious reason? I don't believe in things that don't work. Uh, yeah. And they were all accepted that I know of. So. So yeah, I mean that's that's still no a way. Thing. Yeah. For a five year old child to have a COVID vaccine, to get into this school. Yeah. There was a Presbyterian school in downtown Franklin, one of our church. Actually, I'm not sure if she was part of our church family at that point or not, that were requiring her for uh, a, a, a religious exemption. You know, so uh, the thing was is now you've got this, you know, MDiv guy. So I put in there, um, you know, clearly this is our belief. And please call me uh, if you have any questions um, I, I can't remember. I, I, I did the assumptive close. I remember that basically saying, you know, you don't challenge my religion and I won't challenge yours. And they still made her test every day or I don't know, some nonsense thing they did with her, but it was, they did accept the religious exemption from it. But here it is 2023. Like, yeah, yeah. It's just, we need to find out what that school name is. Disappointing. We'll put them on blast. Is that, is that what the kids say? When they, <laughs> is that what they do, Caleb? Do you put them on blast when you put them on Twitter? I don't know what they say. One of the other things, just to kind of keep our eye on, maybe a finger on the pulse, is just this language around climate crisis, climate emergency, climate lockdowns. This is a thing that's being discussed in countries right now, especially in Europe. Has anybody tried one yet? I don't think so. Oh, I, I no, I think it's too early for that. But... Nicole Schwab has entered the chat. Do you know who Nicole Schwab is? Klaus's daughter. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. She's entered the chat. Uh, and her, she's in the family business of world <laughs> domination. And she is waving the, the flag of all things climate crisis. That's the, that's the phrase right now. And um, this is her statement. Her statement is that the COVID pandemic was a tremendous opportunity to test how the public would comply to the World Eco Economic Forum's plans to usher in the Great Reset, which includes this idea. It's again, it's an idea, which I do believe we are seeing some movement of this, of this climate lockdown, climate change lockdown. It's starting to ramp up. They're using things like the wildfires in Canada and the... Uh, severe flooding. Biden um, Biden actually referred to this yesterday in an interview. In the positive sense? Um, in the sense that the military uh, is engaged in what it could look like to have military involvement around this quote-unquote climate crisis. Um, and then he alluded to some random instance where uh, bases, military bases were being flooded out due to rain it, it, it made no sense, no surprise. Um, but he was starting to kind of tote some of this language about climate crisis, climate emergency. I don't feel like this climate lock, a, a climate lockdown will go over very well Oh, in this oh, country. Oh, oh no. I right? Mean, Lord, like, 
the thing that I can't even imagine how that would look. No, the only way that they could even try to enact something like that would be by force. And I promise you in Tennessee, yeah, that's yeah. going to go very poorly. That Jason Aldean song will be nothing compared <laughs> to what's going to happen if they decide we can't drive to school. Like, yeah, I am. Um, but it's picking up steam in, in Europe, of course. I mean, yeah. that's some smaller countries are uh, kind of aligning themselves to, to this idea. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> one of the greatest... I don't know, ironies. Is I mean, I, I'm sure, I'd love it if we had better public transportation. You know, the idea of, you know, one thing Europe has going, it, it, they really, they've got amazing public transport with trains and, but they also have a 50% tax rate. I was, um, what is California, 40? I think I've yeah, heard California is 40. Well, it is, but it's on a sliding scale, right? Oh. So uh, the higher you earn, the in, if, I, if I understand European taxes correctly, it's 50% pretty much across the board. Wow. And so I was talking with, a, uh, with my daughter, actually. And, you know, my daughter, like any young person, you know, likes to push against maybe the, my dad might be old-fashioned. or, But it's been fun because her, you know, her BFF uh, lives in Amsterdam now. And... She's saying that one of the reasons that her parents, so she was, she actually speaks Dutch, her parents are Dutch, but they've moved to the United States. And the main reason they moved to the United States was 50% tax rate. So, you know, Lauren's uh, friend is able to go over there and get, take benefit of the, of the free school. But obviously it's not free, it's 50%. So it's like, there's this weird irony and that you got her parents moving here so they don't have to pay the taxes for the 50%. So they want to get the benefit of our tax bracket with the uh, benefit of of their socialism interesting on it and so i was like i'm really i was kind of digging in a little bit on that like you know so would you want to move there you know because you get free school and free health care it just turns out it's not free so someone's you know yeah was it ronald reagan that was saying or i don't remember which guy some economist maybe that you know inflation is the cost of all that free money and you know in their world the european world of socialism and you know which again in the pandemic we were hearing how awesome socialism is um but when you put, you know, when you actually live in it, it's like, that's not so great to get, you know, 50% of your paycheck taken every, every week. Besides all of that happening in the, in the, in the world, back to, <laughs> we took us, I don't even know where, we're not even off the reservation. We're like off the island. We've got to swim back to shore. Back to the local church, finding belonging, finding um, things that matter. What do you think is the, what do you think is the ingredient for church goers to find meaning and purpose in the local church? Like what is, what is that linchpin for families? Question. Let me ask you what, cause I have an answer, but what do you think it is? I think it starts small. Yeah. I think it starts small with, I mean, small groups. I think finding a, 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 a tribe, a group of people that they can come together often and, and I mean, I, I hate this phrase, but it's, only, it's, it's the only phrase that really makes sense. But people that are living life together, like doing life together yeah, um, through thick and thin, um, that they're there for each other in the middle of crisis. I mean, it's been a rough summer for, for the team and family. We've, we've had just, it's just like one of those things where just always something right now. <laughs> it's, um, but we've, we've had friends and family to lean on to kind of help get through some things. Um, and I'm thankful for that. And outside of the church body, like, I don't know where I would find these people. Yeah. I mean, when you, uh, one of the things I love is seeing 
people in our church family who moved here from someplace else, whatever, didn't know each other. And now they're all friends with each yeah. other. You know, they're in two, four, two groups and they're, you know, they, they've been purposeful about it and they've got relationships that they would not have had any other way. And, you know, surely, you know, people do have work relationships and whatever, but, but we all know for the most part, they're not the ones that are going to be there for you yeah. when the chips are down. And I think that, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with that, that it starts small, it starts in our own world. And then, you know, coming back from Africa, we had a, we had a WhatsApp group, which I don't know, have you joined the WhatsApp group for Israel? I have not. You are being obstinate, man. I've, I just, I've been, I've had a busy 24 hours. It takes 12 seconds. You, you, you click the accept. It's like, it's not rocket science. Your wife has ghosted me completely. I'm like, <laughs> she's, just, she's, she's uh, technology uh, adverse. I don't I'm just trying to communicate with everybody for Israel anyway. Um, but coming back from Africa, everybody's like, I don't know what to do now. I, you know, what do I do? Like after, after all that, you know, I got to go back to my life again. Yeah. And I've been really parsing through that and thinking through that of like, okay, that's part of the challenge is that mission and life are two separate buckets. And I'm not talking like missions, plural. You, you will rarely hear me use the word missions, plural. It's, it's, a, it's fine. It's a word. But the semant- to me, the semantics matter. It's, we don't have missions from Jesus. We have a mission from Jesus. And we just have to figure out where our part is in that mission. It doesn't mean everybody goes to Africa. It just doesn't mean that. If, if everybody went to Haiti, then there would be nobody left for you know, drug addicts in Columbia, Tennessee. The point is, is what, what has God infused you with for purpose? And, you know, generally speaking, and we talk about it here in our staff, like if you find your wound, you'll find your why. Something's happened in your life that God wants to use for his glory. And if you figure out what that is, uh, you'll find your why. I mean, that's why I've been on the board of directors for 20 years at Place of Hope. I grew up in a home with a dad that was addicted to prescription pain medications and uh, and nobody was there to help us. So that's that's where that passion comes from. But if if you separate your your mission from your life, so here's my regular life and then here's my mission over here, I think that has something to do with why people end up 40, 45 years old, feeling pretty empty inside, feeling pretty like I, you know, cause they spent all this time on their work and it didn't provide for them that ultimate purpose and mission in their life. Jesus, he wired us for adventure. He wired us for risk and all this, especially as men. And then he gave us a mission that requires all those things. He's awesome. When you think about it, like he didn't give us a mission that requires us to do things that are bad for us, that make us sad or angry. They actually make us happy and joyful. So if that means giving, if that means sharing on the, uh, the socials, if it just means that I'm, I'm now planning my next whatever, but there's something attached to it where it's bigger than just us. One of the things I know that families in our church do, which I absolutely love, is they will say to their children, hey, you know, X amount of dollars, we can set this family free, you know, and they've got a picture of a family that was in slavery and now they're free they're literally connecting their giving and their mission and their life all into one. It's no, they're not separate buckets anymore. They're all the same. I think that's part of where the glory comes from in a church gathering. And if you don't have that, I don't blame you for staying home. Yeah. We talked about, or I just mentioned, you know, we kind of had a, a rough summer. 
You know, one of the things we didn't really talk about uh, because of all of our travels is the instance that happened on our Wyoming trip um, that I shared when I spoke about three weeks ago. Oh, we've, we've not talked about that on this podcast? No. Oh. Not, not publicly. So I just wanted to get, I mean, I, we're towards the end of the podcast. We're about to wrap up. Um, if you're still listening, thank you. And, but we, I, I wanted to kind of get, give you an opportunity to respond because, uh, I did mention, you know, when I did, when I spoke and I told the story of what happened with what we're calling the, the lips of it. <laughs> Of my allergic reaction. Look like somebody put butt cheeks in your face, man. (laughs) What? (laughs) Chubby little baby butt coming off the front of your face. You know, I I called you out a little bit just by saying, you know, you didn't have any empathy. You were were not very helpful. You just kind of, you laughed. I I wanted to give you at least an opportunity to respond to to this. I mean, (laughs) guilty as charged. Okay, okay. I mean, look. And I defy anyone to have had no preparation mentally, no time to prepare mentally. When you took your hand away from your face. To gaze upon. To not uh, have any sort of response that didn't include some kind of laughter. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't help it. I mean, I could, I don't know. Now that's, I mean, look, I've taken those spiritual gifts tests and I can tell you why they're pretty much all bogus, but... Oh, I remember the first time I ever did one, and I, I've I've registered like zero on uh, mercy. Yeah, that was evident, and uh, <laughs> and I was so shocked. I was hurt. I was like twenty nine <laughs> years old, and my wife was like apoplectic. She's like, "How is it possible that you don't know oh, that you have zero percent mercy in your life?" I'm like, "I'm the nicest guy I know." How's that? Anyway, uh, apparently I'm not. And uh, and for the record, I did arrange. You made it happen. I, I arranged for transportation to a hospital, so it wasn't. That's true. I wasn't unuseful in that situation. Yeah, yeah. and I sure as heck didn't have the response that Jason Kuhn, our worship pastor, had. <laughs> you know, in that moment, I thought I have no friends. I mean, in that moment, oh, I knew it wasn't on. true. A hundred percent not true. Yeah, I mean, I were you know. But man, it was brutal. <laughs> and if you have no idea what we're talking about, you have to scroll back. Uh, two, three weeks ago when I, I spoke on in chapter 16, um, is talking about the, the path to peace and uh, the joy of Jesus through suffering and trials. And I shared a trial. <laughs> I shared a woe. It was a woe, all right? W-H-O-A. <laughs> woe! <laughs> and so for context, you may need to go back and, and watch that, I dare you. Yeah. I thought I was nice. It ended well. I'll say that. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah but I you mean, held me hostage. I will. That's what I was gonna say, though. But as we, you held me hostage. Like if you don't tell this story, I will. Oh. Oh, I have no apologies for that. And so I, no. I had to do. Yeah. Had to do that. Well, I mean, look, God gave you. We public speakers, communicators, whatever. We dream of stories like that that we can tell because, you know, I'm running out of stuff. I'm like, you know, everybody. Sure. You need new material. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I'm not like a comedian where I can get to do the same, you know, routine every week. That's true. I got to have something new. And you having a butt cheeks sewed (laughs) sewed to your face. I really wish you wouldn't use that description. I I don't know how else. I mean, yeah. Okay. So you didn't get Kardashian, right? Like if you had, that's like the story. Like I would have, if it had happened to me, 
I would have gone forward because it's hilarious. Like I would have absolutely owned it. Owned it. it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like. Oh, just, yeah. So, the, yeah, that, and I did, I did, I did issue the challenge. If you, you cannot get a story like that and waste it. And if you yeah. don't spend it, I'm going to spend it for you. Yeah. And it crushed, I might add, crushed. It was received well. Yes. I mean, you got like 1.8, you're like the top in our stories uh, on YouTube. That that sermon is like one of the top. <laughs> I'm yeah. not sorry at all. Yeah. I'm only sorry that it didn't happen to me. Well, we, we thank you. For, for for continuing to listen to the deeper podcast, we're getting back into a rhythm. The rust is flying everywhere as we get back into regular muscle memory of yeah, cobwebs. Man, they're blood are still full of cobwebs in my mind. Having these conversations as we discuss Sunday's teaching with current events and and helping to make sense of it all, bringing clarity to chaos. Thank you for listening to the deeper podcast. <laughs>